Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak is like, we're not just about making more revenue, that's great, but what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers, and the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you gotta get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast, the marketing podcast for high growth direct to consumer brands, where you learn what's working in e commerce marketing with interviews from the fastest growing direct to consumer and e commerce brands. If you need help with email and SMS marketing as ad costs have increased and it's getting more and more competitive and you need to be best in class with email and SMS, you can learn more about what Wavebreak can do for you at wavebreak.com. Today on the show, I'm joined by Andrew Bennon, co-founder and CEO of Graza, which is a really awesome D2C startup in the CPG space selling olive oil. And he talks about why olive oil and really great conversation, super transparent. We talk about everything from launching and scaling a brand to selling out of your inventory within a matter of weeks without any money spent on paid social. And I think that's really interesting. We also talk about how much he spends and how much you would have to spend on a branding agency, what the big dogs charge, uh, how much he recommends spending on a PR team, when and when and why and how that makes sense, depending on what you're focused on as a brand, and really everything in between. Andrew previously worked at a ton of high-growth direct-to-consumer brands, uh, most notably Warby Parker. Then he went to Casper and was there from employee seven to hypergrowth, as well as Magic Spoon. And now he's running Graza as co-founder and CEO. So a lot of great insights. He's an open book and a lot of great conversations. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Andrew. It's a pleasure. Love this show. 
Yeah, it's great to it's great to have you on. I'm excited to to talk about everything you've got going on, talk shop about like, you know, building and scaling a brand in today's marketplace and really excited to dive in. So I guess first things first, Graza is an olive oil company. Why olive oil? I think we're so lucky to work in olive oil actually because it's a it's a product that everybody likes. We haven't heard like a bad ounce of feedback yet. No one's like, "Oh, I hate <laughs> olive oil." Yeah. It's funny that we joke about it just being like the global best supporting actor. Like we're never going to win best actor, but we're always going to win best supporting actor because olive oil just makes everything better. But but why olive oil? Um for, you know, for a few reasons. Uh the industry though saturated is very fragmented and there's a lot of really really terrible quality products in in North America it's because of a poorly understood trade relationship we have with Canada where we get all of our canola oil so there isn't really any reason for for the US government to or the FDA I should say to to invest in having high quality olive oil available here um so we wanted to to come into the marketplace with a solution and that was like this is no bullshit this is 100% piquad which is a great varietal that we believe in a lot never blended from the recent harvest olive oil here's sizzle for your cooking here's drizzle for your dressing and we just wanted to make it honest transparent and fun yeah that's awesome freak us out for a little bit what's wrong cuz i i think not too many people really go the layer deep of like oh why why is olive oil bad for me i feel like it's kind of like well, it's like, seems like it's olive oil. Seems like it would be a natural thing. Like, you know, I'm more worried about the other fruits or foods and, and drinks that I consume. What, yeah. what about what's wrong with the current olive oil? I'm honestly afraid to ask even. Oh, I mean, I won't, listen, you can go on like YouTube and then you'll really get scared. <laughs> Dr. Oz is in a huge lawsuit because he like shed light on this industry and got oh, shut wow. up pretty quick. Um, okay. So the, the, the primary things that happen is brands and companies will will hide under the veil of the words extra virgin olive oil because that just sounds healthy and delicious and cold pressed and all these things. So the, once we print it on a label everyone's like, "Oh, great." But the reality is they're they're blending it with canola oil, vegetable oils, they're dumpster diving for old olive oils that they will go to any market, be it Tunisia or Greece or Spain or Italy and they'll ask what is the cheapest olive oil that you guys have available in the marketplace and it's usually 3 4 years old um they'll aggregate it um and you can easily see it you can flip a bottle of olive oil um around a private label bottle for example and it says like G R T S S P I T and they tell you they're like this is from four different countries from four <laughs> different harvests people just don't 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 know to look because they hide under the veil of the front of the bottle which says extra virgin when it's really not and it's it's funny because the amount of effort that goes into that into buying this product in different locations dealing with global logistics to aggregate it in one filling location blend it all together and then ship it again you can only imagine how cheap that product has to be and how like thin their margins have to be to sell a shitty product Um for us it's like you bottle it on the farm you put it in the bottle and you send it over here and then it goes to our customers you know we're not we're not like Everlane talking about how transparent our supply chain is and our margins but it's a really simple industry it it doesn't need to be so um i don't know it it doesn't need any of this like 
fooling around that's going on. Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess that's what ha- what's ha- what happens when you have like a product that it, it lasts for a few decades. You bring in McKinsey a few times to like figure out how to increase margin. Before you know it, you're going around to all these different countries, putting it in a bucket, and then just like shipping it out to save a few save a few points on your margin. Yeah, and for us, it was also like olive oil here got always associated with like a highbrow Italian kind of burrata and <laughs> kind of vibe and. Our jam is like, use it for whatever the hell you're using it on. You could see it in our, in all the photo shoots we've run or the kind of influencers that we see to it's, it's a very diverse um, culinary set. And that's intentional. It's, it's our belief is that you should and can cook everything with olive oil. Um, so we try to enable people to, to visually see that um, and, and, and demystify all their preconceived notions. Yeah. And it's a huge market too. And I feel like it's something that's like pretty under the radar. Like these, the holding companies who own the olive oil that most people buy are probably making a ton off it that like, you don't even realize like just how often you need to put it in your car. It's just kind of like, kind of like you said, it's just like something that's there and not something you really think about. But it's also neat too, to think about like the different use cases, especially as people are getting more smart about the way they eat with like dressing and all of that. And, you know, switching to something like olive oil, but yeah, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. So like, how did you, so obviously you have a little bit of a background in CPG. Uh, can you touch on that a little bit before we jump into like how you actually ended up launching the brand itself? Yeah, I, I feel like I just got lucky over and over again. I, <laughs> I graduated from, from Binghamton, which is at a university in upstate New York with, with, with my best friend. We decided to graduate early because we were like, damn it, we need to go work at startups and we're going to become accountants if we don't make this move now. You know, <laughs> so, uh, I ended up getting a job at, at Warby Parker uh, when they were like the darling of New York. And they are still a darling in, in many ways. Um, jumped from there to Casper. Um, that was a hell of a ride. Um, you know, was What there. size was Casper when you, when you joined? And was that, do you join when it was still a startup or? Seven people. Seven people. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy thing. It was the five founders and and two others. Yeah, crazy. wow, dude. I mean, I feel like that in itself could be not even just a podcast. That's like Netflix documentary yeah, worthy. We can talk about that another time. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, that's when I started to get into food in general. Um, I tried cooking at, at Gramercy Tavern. They took a chance on me. Um, that didn't work out. <laughs> That's like your career. Like, so you're, you went from Casper to like, Oh, I'm going to be a chef. Yeah. And then I was like, damn it. I'm, I, I can't survive off $13 an hour. Uh, <laughs> I want to live in Brooklyn. Um, then I went to Spain. Um, and that's kind of where this all started. Um, you know, I, I ended up marrying someone from Spain. Um, so Spain is like very much in our, in our core as a family, but we don't necessarily advertise Graza as a Spanish olive oil brand because we don't think that this category should be pegged to like one location or one region. Um, it just should be pegged to the process and the promise of how fresh and delicious this stuff is. Um, we're not going to go out there and say Spanish olive oil is the best in the world, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I almost didn't, I, I definitely had like D to C CPG, like monkey mind, like, what can I do? What, like, oh my God, octopus and this tin fish and like it went this rice, arborio rice. Like I'm going to bring it all back to America and sell it. And I'm so happy that 
I calmed that brain down and focused on a big category um, that has a ton of opportunity and allows us to. So yeah, that, that's kind of how it all happened. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, I mean, that's like also the perfect crash course in direct to consumer. Like you're across every, t- well, first of all, like the brands that you worked at is very, um, you know, they're great brands. People know them. Um, and they're also very diverse. Like it's different customers, it's different product types, everything from, you know, the expensive mattress to the, the glasses to, you know, the, the other products, but what, um, yeah. And then what, what were some of those lessons learned, like working with those companies? Like, I'm sure you saw, like, I mean, you've seen the hyper growth of multiple brands at this point. I'm yeah. sure you're thinking about Graza in the same way. Like, you know, this is, like you said, it's a huge market. Let's go after it. Like, what are, like, how did you think through that? Like, I think, I think that, um, from, from Casper specifically, I think the biggest lesson was to like have constant respect for the domestic marketplace and don't let any noise come in from international opportunities or like grandiose visions. Like we have a lot of consumers here. I'm learning, I'm learning more and more that even though you only think that 15% of our domestic population is could be your customer and you're gonna have to pay a premium to acquire them like it's still a lot of people and it should be an efficient acquisition channel for you i think from i forgot to mention i also worked at magic spoon for a year um i think i think magic spoon definitely taught me how to leverage the agency landscape and how to vet agencies and how to interview agencies effectively and how to budget for it, even pre-launch, get people involved and how helpful that would be in the fundraising process. Got it. Few few things I want to touch on there. Okay. So like learning to, it sounds like the big thing is like focus. And I think that's so true. Like when I look at the brands that we work with who grow the fastest, like they're around six years later, still with relatively the same skews almost like some add, but if they do add, it's in the same category. So it's like, it's not like they're trying to launch a brand new product line or category. Like it's just like smart growth. Um, and then it sounds like what you're saying is like growing international too fast, like focus on penetrating the U S as much as possible. Don't get distracted by any like shiny objects and just like double down and focus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you could drill that down into regional focus. I think you could drill that down into owning your market. Um, like we, Casper, I had some anxiety about how big we were in New York and how small we were other places, but let the data speak to you, you know, let the data speak to you and use it and own the market that you're in. So what you're saying is like this time you would double down on where you're already seeing success versus like, oh, we got to go to other markets since we're too, too big here. Correct. If we're talking about lifetime value, like what else, what else is there to do, you know, double down on what's working. Yeah, definitely. And is that why you launched with, so you have two products right now. Like, do you have plans to launch more? Or is it like, no, these are our two products for the close, the near future. Like, this is what we're focused on growing or what does that look like? Yeah, I'd say like product development is probably, um, uh, it's not counter to my previous argument, but uh, if you're trying to build a trusted brand in the food space, um, your merchandising potential is highly contingent on launching new products because you cannot just be siloed to one part of each supermarket. You will get lost. Um, So for us, we are very intentional thinking through what next products we're going to launch. 
We have a plan for a third olive oil product in uh, probably Q3 of this year, probably around July, um, which is going to be awesome. And obviously when you're in this like gray zone between D to C and also fulfilling some wholesale accounts and trying to build out retail, new product launches are, are a campaign that is so easy to spread around all those channels uh, cost effectively. Um, but olive oil will always be at the heart of everything we launch. Um, I think that we won't follow a, you know, a traditional architecture. I would recommend to physical product companies, um, take some hints from product collaborations and why they get so much press and love on Instagram. It's because if you challenge yourself to be non-traditional in the products that you launch, um, I think you're going to generate a lot of hype rather than following, you know, oh, I, I like made a ketchup and I'm going to make a mayo and then I'm going to make a mustard and then I'm going to make a, you know, like really, really push yourself to think where you can be in the supermarket. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes total sense. I mean, if you look at the the brands that are dominating there, like they're not, they, they're not narrow focused. Like they are focused on like, you know, that space, like, okay, I'm a retail brand inside of, you know, XYZ store, but like the ones that really end up growing, they're, they're, it's not a single product. What, um, one thing I thought you said was interesting is you're like, Hey, even during the fundraising process, like get agencies involved. It's really helpful early on. And I guess the other side of that is like, you know, the first thought that comes to mind, it's like, well, if I'm just starting and I'm just fundraising, how do I do that without shelling out an arm and a leg? Or like, what did that look like for you? Yeah, we were really confident that we were going to give the people that believed in us equity deals um, to partner with us on the agency side. Um, and we ended up doing that. Uh, I think I think there's a, a sweet spot for marketing agencies and design agencies that are at this inflection point in their, in their life cycle where they've had some successful brands. Maybe they didn't take equity in those companies um, and you need to like find out who they are um, and approach them and make it a very exciting opportunity. Um, get them to believe in you just like you would get an investor to believe in you because that's what they're going to end up being. And I'm not saying you're going to get preferential treatment if you are able to strike a deal, but you build a different type of relationship. Um, so for us, the way that worked was with our with our branding agency, who I would recommend day in, day out to anyone launching a digital or physical product company, Gander. Um, we ended up striking an equity partnership for them. They helped us position ourselves to the investment community in a much more presentable and much more real way. You know, it's, it's like we just launched, right? And how people interpret our brand now versus how they interpreted it two months ago is so different. And, and, and you have to like take yourself out of your own head and the story that you're telling yourself and think about how you're presenting yourself to people that have never heard of you that maybe got introduced and having people that can bring your vision to life um, early on is, is very important for a digital product company that could be, you know, working with a UX designer and giving them X amount of convertible notes to wireframe something that looks so beautiful. Um, it, it, it goes a long way. And we also did the same thing with our, with our digital marketing agency. You know, we, we, we treated them as like a de facto CMO going into fundraising rather than just a partner. We got them involved in our, deck building, got them involved in our marketing plan that we could pitch out to investors before we launched. 
Interesting. So when you say like creative agency, like their their initial agency, they're helping with the branding, the site, the initial assets. So that way, then when you're going to the investors, it's like, here's the brand already. Here's what it looks like. Maybe some initial creative too. So it looks good. And it's like it already exists, even though you're pre-launch. Correct. I mean, yeah, I think that's that should be 101 for physical product. Definitely. I think it holds people back if you don't have it um, unfairly. And... And yeah, it was it was highly beneficial to us. And the earlier you start in the branding relationship with an agency like that, um, the, the the more likely you get through the first two three months of just like information and ideas bouncing around into your groove because you have right. to be in that sweet spot in that groove with the agencies you work with. And the sooner you get there, the better. Yeah, definitely. What um, and did you evaluate like a ton of agencies to? to get started or like what was the whiteboard in the beginning so many so so many we asked like the the typical ones i'm guessing we made a we made a list of like 150 north star brands um and we figured out who did all their branding 120 of them who did all their branding um you know got connected and then from like maybe 30 branding agencies asked for two references weeded it out and uh, ended up working with someone close to home. You know, Gander did, did Magic Spoon also. And, but, <laughs> you learn, but you learn so much through, through the process. Um, and, and yeah, it was a lot of upfront research for sure. You what is... You can't make yeah. that decision lightly because that's going to be... If you're doing it our way, which is like... We, 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 we have created something that doesn't need to be rebranded. Right. That is like such a distraction later right. down the line. I see it all the time. Like so many brands we work with, like they get to steam. It doesn't matter if it's 10 million in revenue or even a hundred million in revenue. And it's like, they do, you know, it's like, here's the new branding. And it is like, it's such a, you know, not to say it's a waste because a lot of them need it, but it is like, you're saying like, it's something that could have been avoided if they invested up front in yeah. that. Yeah. I completely agree. I think it's a very difficult rupture if you have like a, 30 person team, for example, where every single person is an owner of the brand. Like if you take that away, um, it, it causes a rupture, I think. Yeah. And then it confuses consumers and it's just Patagonia, like, it's Patagonia has never rebranded, you know, Bob's Red Mill has <laughs> yeah. never rebranded. Vital Farms is never going to rebrand, you know, yeah. even Nike, like it's the same, same exact thing. What it, so, okay. So you talked to like 30 of these agencies, you have a list of over a hundred. What does the, what's the going rate for branding in D2C these days? Or I'm sure there's a large spectrum, but like in the black box of creative, creative agencies, it's always the request to quote button. What, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. It depends if they're going to do your website or not. Um, so if you want the full suite solution from a top tier branding agency, not like we're not talking red antler, like we're, we're going to charge 400 K um, to, to do something like that. Um, I think you can expect to pay anywhere from 70 to $150,000. Um, and that's with the, the site. site. That's with the site. Got it. And, and so that's an initial brand, initial site. Does it come with any, I mean, I'm sure it comes with a bunch of different assets too, on top of that. Yeah. I mean, it comes with, it comes with products that you've conceived that you haven't launched yet. Those are obviously going to get outlined throughout the process. Um, for us, our, our, our blog was a big consideration because it houses, it's like our, the housing of our digital communications is our blog. It's where we're able to express ourselves and then fragment out 
and, and disseminate that content throughout our other channels. Um, obviously packaging, physical packaging is, is a huge part of it. Um, and usually get post-launch support and I, and I, and I, and I advocate for, for fighting for as much as you can. And now a quick break for a quick word from our sponsor, Okendo. Okendo is the new standard in customer reviews for high growth Shopify brands. We use them with our clients and they work with over 4,000 of the fastest growing Shopify retailers like Skims, Nomad, and Buck Mason to help them leverage their most powerful asset, their customers. Okendo gives brands all the tools they need to capture and showcase customer generated content like product reviews and ratings, photos and videos, and Q&A. Plus, they have an awesome integration with Klaviyo that makes it easy to do cool stuff like send review request emails and target shoppers based on review content. And now that it's that time of year again, when Black Friday and Cyber Monday are top of mind, Okendo is offering a 90-day free trial to help e-commerce brands ramp holiday conversion without having to worry about increased subscription costs. If you sign up before October 31st, you pay nothing until 2022. It's really a no-brainer to me, and don't worry, you won't be forced into any expensive annual contracts after your trial is up. They offer super affordable monthly subscriptions starting at $29. So you can make the most out of this holiday season with a little help from Okendo. Visit okendo.io and start your free trial today. That's O-K-E-N-D-O dot I-O. Thanks, Okendo, for sponsoring the show. Yeah, definitely. And then what about the digital marketing agency? I mean, that's that's a really interesting pitch. It's like, hey, we're pre-launch. Uh, we don't have a product yet. We're raising money. Like, was it the same process? Like, hey, let's make a list of 100 agencies or was that different or what did that look like? I think that's different because if anybody is trying to tell you that their agency is better than the next digital marketing agency, they are they're lying straight to your face. Like if you're dealing with if you know that someone is a talented digital marketer and they might be the head of that agency or they might be an associate, if they have talented digital marketers, their potential output is, is likely going to be the same. Um, for that, that, I was like 100% personal feeling, 100% like a feeling with the ownership of the agency, a feeling of commitment, a feeling of them doing research about our space of them doing competitive research before we partnered with them on what our competitors are doing in the marketplace. Um, it was, it was all a vibe. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's been working for us now, even though we haven't run a paid ad yet. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, then walk me through that. Okay. So you, you know, let's kind of skip the product development because we mostly talk about like marketing side on the show. And I think we talked a lot about like the initial branding and everything, but like, Okay, so then you launched the brand. When when did the brand officially launch then? Brand launched actually on January 11th. So we're just coming up on the end of our, our fifth week. Um, nice. It has been insane. Um, you know, considering the organic traction that we're getting right now, it kind of eats at my soul. <laughs> like, when are we going to start dispatching this amazing UGC that we got and then acquire <laughs> different demographies? Um, but everything has been has been organic thus far. Um, I think uh, a strategy that like a lot of people are 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 taking away from us is how aggressive we were with seeding um, to to content creators. Like it was our primary um, cost of acquisition, if you want to call it. And um, I think that if you create a product or if you have a product where 
getting products in the hands of people is cheaper than acquiring them digitally. You're already onto something and you have created a vehicle for a lot of free content to be created and content is king in our space. Um, so we were seeding aggressively two to three weeks pre-launch. Um, and when I say aggressively, I mean 50, 100 units a week. Um, we, oh, built, wow. we built an inventory for seeding. Um, and people with a thousand followers, people on TikTok, people on Twitter, people all over every single platform, people with 300,000, 400,000 followers. Um, and it worked. It really worked. <laughs> Did you do anything different with the approach of the 300,000 versus the 3000 person? Or is it, was it the same thing? Like, like how, what did you do? You DM them, you're like, Hey, like, like, is it from the company account or like, how do you even do that as like a not so established brand? Like if you're, I mean, I was going to use Fashion Nova as an example. That's probably not a good one, but like, you know, if you're an established brand, you got the blue check mark already, whatever, like it's a lot easier to slide in the DMs and do that. But like, what was, what was your approach? We are somewhat ruthless, I'd say, because we know that we have a delicious product, a product that everybody uses. And when you're a culinary creator, you're definitely churning through olive oil. Um, mm. so, so like for us, it's like, don't you, you're using this, like, we're just about to make your life better and tastier. And that's kind of, that's kind of our angle. Um, so no, we didn't treat anybody differently. We didn't offer payment for anything. We, we set no expectation, no asks. Um, and I think that's true. Our brand, we just want people using our product. We just want people squeezing Graza and that's the way we treat influencers and content creators. Um, we don't uh, you know, request any specific types of shots or shot lists or culinary interactions. We don't provide any recipe ideas. We honestly want to meet people where they are when we're seeding product. Um, and so you're just like, Hey, we're launching this new, um, olive oil. It's the best ever. What's your address? I mean, there's a little, a little more humor (laughs) and I'd say. I guess that was the, that was the dull framework of like maybe what it would look like in a Google Doc before you spice up the template. <laughs> um, you can slide into our DMs and see how we how we communicate if, if you're that curious. That's for anyone listening. If you want to see how Graza speaks, just slide into our DMs. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, we we have a great vernacular. Like we can use words like squeeze and squirt and this and that. And I think that friendliness to this industry just leads to a high hit rate on Instagram, you know? Got it. Is that part of like the branding too? Like when you launch the brand, it's like, oh, here's our, here's our words or did that naturally happen? Oh no, it's part of it. Well, I mean, we took copy very seriously. We worked with a very talented woman from, from Bon Appetit on, on drilling out all of our, all of our copy needs. Um, you know, that's what I find so interesting is like, this is something when you end up meeting some of these people in person who, you know, like you down the road when Graz is huge, it's everywhere. Everybody's like, you know, someone comes up to you and they're like, wow, like it's, it's so nonchalant. Like it, that's so great. And you're like, yeah, none of it was like, we, we engineered everything from day one. I feel like that's what I've learned from conversations with people is it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's neat. You figured that out. It's like, figure that out. Like that was super intentional. And I, it's just interesting to hear it like from, from you at this stage, which is super cool. I mean, only two things were aha, right? The squeeze bottle was pure aha and sizzle and drizzle were pure aha. Everything else was beyond thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> I know when you make it look easy, that's how you know you did a good job. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. So yeah, launch has been launch has been crazy for us, and um, we're big. And did believers. you go ahead? Well, I was just gonna say, did you only go after creators like in that space of like you know the cooks and so on? No, I'd say we went. We we our approach was like dip, like one or two different communities week over week, and that's something we still invest in and and and, and shuffle through um, even post launch. Um, we definitely went after the beauty community, the health and wellness community, the exercise community. I think that it's different. If you, it, you might figure out who your customers are. You might have an idea who your customer is going in and who you want to advertise against. Um, but with creators, I think that's your opportunity as a brand to, to trust your gut of like, I could be for everyone, you know, like this could be for everyone. Um, and that's the approach that we were enabled to take with creators. We don't necessarily take it with customers because we don't pay to acquire customers right now. But, um, but yeah, it's, it was an interesting approach for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, uh, sorry, you said you're sending out like 50 to 100 a week? Now we're not because we are so out of stock. That like, <laughs> if we, if we uh, send too many to influencers, we get a lot of customer pushback of like, hey, I'm paying for my product and not getting it, which is fair. Like this level of service that we're giving to people <laughs> is kind of crappy, but we could not have imagined a, a bigger launch. Like it... So many brands go through like a sellout story, this, that, like, like we sold out and far beyond. Wow. And then what was that like? So you seeded all these influencers and then you're like, Hey, post on the first of the month or just like, you're like, Hey, post whenever. And they all started posting whenever, or like, did you coordinate the launch and like try to build an email list before, or what was that like? We did try to build an email list before, um, but it never, it never got bigger than like 700, 800 people. A lot of them just, I don't know, honestly going through our five different Gmail inboxes and all of your text messages and everything you've ever done and just getting people's emails on a doc. Um, it was definitely kind of scrappy. Um, no, we didn't ask, we didn't ask anyone to post. Um, people that we worked with on our shoots and stuff like that, that had an influential following, we told them that we were going to launch on a specific day. Um, but we, we don't ask anything. It just happens. And so, okay. So what happens? You just turn the site live in January and then like the orders just start coming because people are already posting or it's crazy. When we turned our site on, we obviously turned it on um, before you know, we're actually are planning our like launch or PR newswire thing. We do have a PR team. Like we turned it on at 8 PM on a Monday. Cause we're like launching Tuesday. Everyone's back at work and kind of looking to not work that night. We sold out of our first batch of inventory. Like people were on our site. No uh, way. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Um, we, we are still in constant shock where everybody's coming from. At least we know because of GA, but it's shocking. Yeah, that's crazy. So you weren't even trying to launch the site. You want to hear a shocking traffic driver? Yeah. Uh, If you do invest in your brand um, and they are very tight with all of the international design community, you're going to get so much traffic from Site Inspire and all of the text and type design accounts. And those people are people who appreciate it more than anything. Um, so definitely like syndicate as much as you can in the design community. If you've paid for it, 
Dude, that's hilarious. So basically like, you're like, Hey, here's our website. It's awesome. People are on dribble. They're like, wow, that's sick. And then they look at the product and you're like, Whoa, that would look so like everybody in Brooklyn's like, Oh, that would look so good on my counter. And then yeah. they buy the product. Yeah. Who knew? I think it's a, it's a tough thing <laughs> for certain people. They like, we don't even have to talk about what's in the bottle. And for other people, all we have to talk about is what's in the bottle. It's such a funny funny line for us. Yeah, that's hilarious. I've seen brands running out of packaging because, you know, supply chain. Then people are like, oh man, I don't like the product as much anymore because they're like, it looks so ugly on my shelf. And it's so funny how there's like a large percentage of consumers these days who like care as much about the packaging or like you said, more than what's actually in the product. Yeah. And we're we're here for that. I think (laughs) you have to nail both. Obviously, like no one's ever launched an olive oil company in a squeeze bottle. No one's ever been this animated in their brand. And it's it's definitely paying off for us. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Did you think it was a risk at first? Like were you like, oh, olive oil seems a little too easy, maybe not. Maybe like were you were you worried at all about the launch or not so much? I mean, I think if you're a CEO of any company and you're not worried 24-7. <laughs> You're not doing a great job. I, I still worry, but you also have a lot of confidence in, in the team you've built and the partners you have and my co-founder and our agency support and our contractors. Um, and, and I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to pull it off and we did. Um, obviously now there's a next step for us, which is, you know, 99% of people still buy olive oil in stores um, in physical retail environments. And I mean, Thrive Market is a, is a supermarket to me. Um, um, and we have to be there. Um, so, so that's the next, that's kind of the next year for us. Um, how are we going to be able to fulfill all of our orders online, have a digital relationship with our customers? Because I think that's what it is at this point. If you're yeah, uh, like, if you want to be an optimized only uh, CPG company, like, yeah, get your product on Amazon and like optimize. But if you're going to invest in your own website, like it's a digital communication stream and more than anything. Um, and for us, we're figuring out a way to sustain communication with our customers, no matter where they are. Um, so yeah, big challenge. Yeah. And, um, I know we're definitely moving to this like next phase of like products because it used to be like nobody could launch a product. So it was easy. You just put up the product and like that was enough. Now you really got to be quality across the board. And I think that's what you understand really well. And it's working really well. Plus like these people coming across your brand, they don't know that it was like just invented. They're probably like, oh, wow, I can't believe I haven't heard of this when they see it, which is really cool too. One thing you also mentioned is um, PR. Like obviously that makes sense because you know, you're a new brand launching, but like you said, it's not the cheapest thing to invest in always. Can you walk me through like what you're thinking in terms of PR and how that, how, how, how you went about like doing that? Yeah, we definitely did a similar vetting process as we did for our creative agencies. Um, we, we focused on the culinary world and I think, uh, if, if other brands aren't telling you who they're using for PR, they're probably not the types of people you want to associate with. I think like getting into the founder community, finding the people who, just want to help is critical early on because they've been through the shit. So they are down to help you try to get out of it. So, so yeah, for PR, we, we also brought them on pre-launch to, to have at least six weeks of, you know, tone guide, 
discussions and just how do we communicate about the brand and making sure that we're not going to go in a premium direction because that's like where everyone's mass premium is where everybody's minds goes now. We're like, no, like we don't even want the word premium involved with us. Like just get like, you know, get that out of your vernacular. I don't know if you know anything about marketing. It's a long, it's a long tail. Yeah. What do you, what do you, when you say like, oh, we don't want to be called premium. Like, what do you want to be called? Like the best or how many, how many companies are going to sell you that they're the best of something, you know, that's true. We're just the only, we're the only olive oil you need. And olive oil is the only thing you need. Like that, that's kind of our vibe. Like use, like just use it. That's what we say. We just say, just use it. I like that. The only, just use it. Yeah. Yeah. Just use it. Just, just, just go for it. You know, someone in our, Someone in our office came in today and uh, they were like, so what's, uh, what's different about your olive oil? And I like, was like, oh my God, no one's like asked me that question in two weeks. And my brain kind of like, <laughs> and my partner just like opened a bottle, held it up to his nose and was like, smell it, just smell it. And they were like, holy moly, you know? It's yeah, but PR, PR I, I'm a big supporter of. I think that you need to have tough skin. Um, and believe in the people you're working with and set your expectations to see results like two to three months post engagement. And yeah, like I think you have a window of launch PR that you're only going to have once. I don't think it's what it was five years ago where it's like, we're going to have a huge launch party and a famous DJ is going to DJ it and we're going to get celebs there and we're going to have a huge launch. And like, it's not that it's just the, your first year is going to all be about momentum and, and launches the, the start of that. Um, so you strategize with an agency on, on which outlets are going to help you syndicate your PR coverage onto Yahoo and MSN and Hotmail. Yeah, people still use that shit. So um, <laughs> uh, if you don't work with a PR agency, you're not going to get to those places. So yeah. What does, okay, so you evaluated a ton of PR agencies. I mean, you've seen across the spectrum there. What are, what are those retainers looking like these days? Uh, That's another black box. I mean, there, you don't have to say how much you're paying, but just like the range that you've seen from talking to all those people. Okay, I'd say the range uh, is anywhere from 8 to 12. That doesn't include partnerships or like affiliate. That's like truly earned media which is what we want. But I know people paying 10 and mm-hmm. and 20 and I more. Know, and yeah, I know people paying 20 and they hate it. I know people paying, I don't know anyone paying six and loving it actually. Um, <laughs> I think, I think as, as someone starting up a company, you should be going for eight to 12 and, and really betting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another thing like we see on the agency side too, is it's like, there's kind of like, there's not always a huge difference between like the lower level and like the mid tier or even the upper tier. Sometimes it's just a few grand, but it's funny that the brands who see the value in that extra couple grand are typically the ones that end up winning down the line versus the ones who try to like negotiate down and end up losing time in their minds as they try to work with, um, you know, I don't know. A lot of brands want like a, a, like the like a twenty k a month talent person to run their PR or whatever, but then they they're like, okay, well, I only want to spend like three to four grand a month. It's like, well, anybody who's that good isn't going to work for that. Like, good people end up costing money one way or another, whether that's equity, like you're saying, or you know, just to to live. I mean, I think I think we knew right away. So 
our first PR meeting, we were so happy about who got assigned to our account uh, because we, we we had heard that they are like the right person, you know? Oh, nice. And then in meeting one, they were like, oh, by the way, she's leaving to join full time at this company that we love so much. I'm not going to say who they are um, on, on this on this podcast, but she was going, she got, she got recruited by a client. Um, for a dream job. And instead of freaking out, we were like, holy shit, they must have really good people at this agency. Um, right. We, we double down, you know? Yeah, and that's great. I mean, I love the, I love how thoughtful you've been too about the launch. I think it makes sense, like knowing your background that it's not just kind of like whisked together, like a lot of, um, you know, of the, these brands have been over the last few years. And, and I definitely see that across the whole brand and even speaking to you now, like even more, um, which is super cool. Like the, the, how intentional you've been. I can tell like you've been around the block a few times to see like what works and what doesn't and, and what really matters, which is really interesting. I don't know if everyone's going to pick up on that from the show, but like they'll figure it out on their own eventually. If they want to, if they want to hit me up, they can always email me. Um, I'm happy to share, share the wars that we've been through at some of these other CPG companies. Uh, I bet. What what uh, what what did you do in terms of like branding? Like, did you come up with the name, or was that part of the creative agency as well, and like trademarks and all that? Or um, we had a different name actually originally, where we lost the trademark battle, um, and it was really hard to, to rename uh, once you get so tied to one. Um, but but no, the name the name I came up with while I was in Spain actually, Graza, because. Uh, there's a village in, in the south of Spain, Grazalema, where it's like my olive oil journey started. I just drove my mother-in-law's car there first and tried like some really incredible unfiltered olive oil that like you could not sell in America because it would oxidize in a second because of all the sediment that's in it. But I, <laughs> I thought it was pretty damn cool. So yeah, I just cut off the lema and got Graza. That's great. That's awesome. That's cool. What's, um, you know, as we start to wrap up here, I mean, I could keep talking forever and I know you've got a ton of war stories, but we'll, we'll save those for another time and and probably not put them broadcast those publicly, but, uh, you know, in terms of what's next, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you want to get into stores, obviously get back in stock, but like, what else, what else are you excited about with the brand this year? Yeah, I'm excited to, to grow our team. I think that we are such big believers in, in brand marketers. Um, and, and a whole community of people who, uh, when metrics are so tight, they, they get tossed to the wayside. Uh, I would leverage brand marketers more than performance marketers internally and performance marketers externally. Um, if, I, if I was doing this again, and we're going we're gonna to keep investing in those types of people. Um, I'm really excited for restaurant partnerships um, because it is... Um, a, a, a beautiful relationship for a food company because you get to uh, create content and you get recipes and you build really strong relationships in a community that just uses your product. And we're all about just using. And I'm excited for our product launches and I'm excited for, for our paid social. I would, I would, I would be so keen to, to hear from the community and hear from you actually, like if we're going to launch into retail, you know, how much budget, should we be throwing geotargeting to those retailers um, versus, and is that going to be a more efficient funnel than driving to our website? I think that's a really, really interesting problem for, for us to tackle um, later this year. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's super exciting. I'm so glad the launch did well for you. The brand looks great. It's been great to, to chat with you for the people who have been listening to this. 
and want to maybe squeeze a bottle of this olive oil, where can they, well, I guess, well, yeah, where can they, where can they find it? Yeah, they can find us on braza.co. Um, don't pay for .coms. They're too expensive. And we're at Get Graza on, on all social. Um, and we have some stockists, which I got to show them love. People are invested in us that, that buy our product by the case and sell it at their awesome stores. Um, if you want to get it quicker locally, you can check out our stockist link on our site also. Awesome. Sounds great. We'll link that all up down in the show notes below. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show, Andrew. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.